0: But you need to like set yourself up from the ground and you need to build that painting up and you see through all these different transparent layers. So I've tried to do that with different mediums, whether it's oil or acrylic or watercolor. Uh, And I think it is that watercolor background that I had that has really affected my process because you do need to think about layers and glazing and shapes. So lots of scumbling for like the early stuff. And then I do get tighter and smaller, and there are certain areas that I will get really excited on and render out, and then there are other areas that I, I think like they need to breathe. You know, they need to be simple. They need to have a little bit more looseness because at the end of the day, it is a painting, it is a drawing. It's not trying to be anything more or less than that. I want it to look like a painting. I want somebody to look at an experience rather than like look at a an image. You know, maybe that's also part of my aesthetic is I want them to become part of the experience and try to put themselves into the, into the work.
1: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linoway. For today's 292nd episode, I'm excited to be joined by Kit Palankar, who spoke with me all about his work and, of course, about some recent experiences here participating in the exhibition Paintings from the Field at Studio Break Gallery. And, of course, you can check that exhibition out on StudioBreak.com under the Gallery tab. Again, that exhibition features work by Kit as well as myself, John Reddington, Adam Mysock, Ben Cohan, Jake Wells, and Gary Shermer. So if you want to see some of those pieces and paintings that came out of that, there's still some available. Check it out under the gallery tab on Studio Break. I am excited, of course, to share this interview with Kit. Again, it's been a quiet summer, a busy year, but excited to break up the static silence of the summer to talk all about Kit and the journey that he's gone through in his studio practice. Again, we talk quite a bit about observation and drawing and how... His work has developed over the years, and especially in current iterations. Once again, you can find more work on studiobreak.com. You can also check out his website, kitpalancar.com. And, of course, be sure to follow him on Instagram to stay up to date or to see what he's doing at Palankit. If you're joining us for the first time, just note that Studio Break is a podcast and website. We feature a bunch of different artists that come on. They talk all about their studio practice, and we share these interviews right there on studiobreak.com. You can, of course, subscribe in Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to do that. You can also find us in social media and check out work there and new episodes, so be sure to follow our Twitter account at Studio Break. You can find us on Facebook at Studio Break, and, of course, on Instagram. It's always great to hear from you at Studio underscore break so be sure to say hello and let's dive right into it here is our interview with kit palankar stay tuned welcome to studio break kit palankar how are you doing
0: hey i'm doing good dave how are you
1: excellent you know it's been a few weeks removed from paintings from the field you were out here with a group of painters to paint in the field i think you Somehow came away with four paintings in a day, which is kind of nuts.
0: Yeah, that was a little a little nutty.
1: I think you slept most of the, the next day or half of the next day <laughs> of the show. So it's kind of fun. Again, kind of before we get into your backstory and everything, we've got uh, degrees uh, from Ohio. So the University of Akron and then Kent State more recently for your MFA but again, great to to have you back on after that experience and you know, to learn a little bit more about your past and, and past art experiences. So thanks again for doing this.
0: Yeah, no problem. It's a uh, pleasure to be here and came to the show and I only knew one person. So, <laughs> but since he was friends with all of you guys, I'm talking about uh, John Reddington. I don't know. I immediately felt like welcomed and part of the the crew. So thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Well, and I alluded to this guest earlier, but. I'm assuming that you grew up on a farm somewhere in Ohio. Is that right or no? No, I did not.
0: No. Okay. Grew up in um, the
1: city of Detroit. <laughs> what
0: I remember is growing up in Oberlin, Ohio. Okay. It's kind of like a towny, towny city in uh, Lorain County, and then we moved down to the country when I was like, I think seven. It was okay. Southern Ohio because my parents wanted to build a timber frame they wanted to buy some land and build a timber frame out in the country and we ended up understanding that that was not the area for us to be in so <laughs> we were there for three short years and then moved to Medina after that i always liked old landscapes and barns and stuff and it's you know it's this different generation of, of time so
1: and so you've spent all of your life growing up in ohio is that correct
0: yeah yeah
1: and were yeah, your parents kind of like always encouraging you to, to make stuff? I know we've talked a little bit about that with uh, some other things that maybe are around in your life, synthesizers and such and and art supplies and stuff, but were they always getting after you to be creative?
0: <laughs> I, I feel like I have a really interesting upbringing when it comes to art because my dad is a world-renowned artist, fine artist and illustrator. He's been in the business since like the, the mid-70s. He went to the Columbus College of Art and Design And he's been in all sorts of publications and um, his name is John Jude Palancar, if you ever want to look him up. But I grew up with that as my dad and having these like super detailed rendered acrylic paintings all around me. And then my mom is also an artist. She just retired last year, but she was a elementary school art teacher. She, She taught at like Catholic schools and then she, taught at a, a couple middle schools in medina so i've always been inundated with art and projects and creating things like my dad was like the more fine artist and my mom was like the more crafty person so like with my dad i would paint and draw and stuff but with my mm-hmm. mom i'd like build little 3d models out of paper and, and make little sculptures and stuff so i was just always surrounded by art from a very very early age
1: and and i'll imagine like D at some point um no. yeah
0: that didn't happen until i was probably like 23 24 i played <laughs> D D. uh that, that was that was kind of fun we would just drink mead and um i had really no idea what was happening i was like can i go into this cave and they're like yeah but you might die and i was like oh, okay let's go into the cave and then he says like a big monster comes out and eats you and i'm like all right cool I'm dead, whatever you know it's
1: so. nice you can grow beards and yeah and stuff, <laughs> yeah so. Well right on. So it sounds like again, relative to your young life, you know, your parents are super creative, encouraging you to be creative. Was that something that was just kind of natural or did they kind of guide you in any way with regards to that, or did they just let you do your own thing?
0: I think it was a little bit of both. I I remember just very few times being like instructed by my parents how to do something. Maybe my mom was, my mom is always a natural teacher. My dad is not really a teacher. So if I ever want to learn something from him, it's not like he's going to actively go and show me. He's going to be like, Hey, you need to come over to the studio and set aside some time and do this with me, you know, and work on the same project. But I can't really remember that, that early, early stuff. I do have Mm -hmm. old drawings. Like I, I, my mom told me I learned one point perspective when I was nine months old. (laughs) and i would draw like the horizon line and i draw like two angled lines going back into space for like uh, for to make train tracks cuz i was obsessed with trains when i was younger I, I i still like model trains and stuff to this day i have a small collection in my my basement i'm definitely not as obsessed as i was back then but i would do that and i would do like city scenes and roads just one point perspective and so that, that's the only stuff i really remember
1: Was there any kind of like early on, like some kind of path and I'm getting, I'm thinking more like maybe grade school as you're kind of coming up, as you're getting older, are you thinking like, Oh, I definitely want to like become, you know, an artist like my parents or were you into sports or.
0: I never really did sports in school. The only thing that came close to sports for me was marching band. I was a trumpet player for many, many years. And recently, like I did disc golf in high school, but not seriously until the last, like four years or so. And when COVID hit, I really got into disc golf because you're just outside, you know, all the time. You don't have to worry about social distancing or anything. But no, I just always just kind of thought I was going to be an artist. Like there was no question about, you know, what I was going to do. I wanted to be a plastic surgeon at one point. And my uncle told me it was going to be, you know, eight to twelve years of med school. And I said, no, I don't, I don't have time or money for that. <laughs>
1: Well, and so you're pursuing this where there are kind of moments like maybe like in high school and stuff like that, where you kind of got a little bit more real as opposed to, you know, again, sorry, you were talking about one point perspective trains. I think of kids and (laughs) all sorts of kids are into trains. I'm like, wow, there should be there should be like an academy for like teaching young kids how to draw trains because they're kind of obsessed with them. But
0: are there that many train kids obsessed with trains?
1: Oh, kids love trains. Yeah,
0: that's the when I was talking about the little models I would build, they were like box cars and like train <laughs> engines and stuff. I would build, sure. So. Sure.
1: But was there like a, a piece in your young adult life, maybe maybe like in high school where you're like, Oh, I'm going to go to college and, you know, pursue this, like look at this portrait or anything. Oh yeah, like
0: for that? sure. Um, through high school, I was pretty, I, I wish I took it more seriously. I really wish I buckled down in high school and I got more serious when I got into college. I did this pastel. I still have all my art, color pastel drawing still life of like a tall mug an apple and a wood bowl and my dad helped me on that just briefly with like color theory like I remember the background being like a um like a purple with like a layer of like yellow over top Mm -hmm. and it was like the complementary colors like really vibrating but I didn't really understand that at that point in my life that piece I did it in my class and my teacher i think submitted it to some publication and it was published in this book called celebrating art i don't know that was my first published piece it was in a in a book you know that had all this different art art through it so that's when it was like kind of like oh i'm i'm pretty okay at this you know i could i could do this so
1: And was it always like observational based kind of stuff that you were kind of drawn to trying to be that kid that could be in class that could draw somebody's hand blown up or sorry, I'm just (laughs) just the kind of things that you kind of do when you're in high school, like dude, have kit, draw it, you know, that'll be cool. Uh,
0: It was a lot of, um, I can't really remember drawing a whole lot from observation in high school. Usually you'd bring in your own reference or you'd work from magazines or something. I didn't get into drawing from observation until I was in college. And I remember the supply list was like, get 18 by 24 inch paper. And I was like, oh, that doesn't seem too bad. And then I went to the store and I saw how big it was. And I was like, oh my God, that is huge. How am I supposed to? (laughs) And now that's like, seems really small to me. And that was a lot more drawing from observation was in in college. And now that's what I teach. Mm -hmm. Because once you know how to do that, it doesn't matter if you're looking at a photo, or what you mix that with drawing skills and you can start to invent your own things and make real life better than what it is.
1: But you were always kind of interested in at least doing stuff that's representational stuff. That's people can kind of see like, Oh, that's a person and not just splashed around some colors or something.
0: That's kind of what my dad's work is too, which was a huge influence whether I like it or not, because Mm -hmm. that's the only art that was hanging up on the walls was his illustrations. And they are very, rendered representational some of them are sci-fi some of them are horror like he did covers for hp lovecraft i was you know six or seven years old seeing like limbless bodies impaled on hooks and floating demons and stuff and then other book covers that were more fantasy like stephen king and uh christopher paolini's inheritance cycle so like the aragon book So I was just, I just grew up with this, you know, the whole time. And it was this representational stuff. It was like magic to me, how he can make something look so real. And I was like, that's, I want to, I want to be a magician. I want to do that.
1: Well, and you kind of described like in maybe high school, not being as focused. Was that something that changed them when you, you get, you get that big drawing paper out and you're like, I got to draw this still life, you know, rather than being one of those folks, it's just like, this is dumb. Did you like gravitate towards kind of work, like learning those ways of kind of analyzing and, and looking at things
0: oh yeah and that's when i think it became a lot more enjoyable like i don't know why i didn't start drawing from observation earlier because you can st- look at anything like my coffee cup and if you break it down using like sighting and measurement and you just start dismantling it in all these little bits and pieces it gives you something to focus on and it makes it enjoyable and you figure out like how it's built not just drawing the cup you're drawing you know ellipses and straight lines and you're trying to get the proportion right so there's a it became a lot more enjoyable when I got into college and I started changing how I saw Mm -hmm. things and how I looked at things rather than like copying a photo like that stuff to me is so so boring I if I ever work from a photo Mm -hmm. reference now I have to like change it or manipulate it in a way that is not copying from a photo.
1: Well, and I imagine too, like at this point, you've got enough work that you've done that you can kind of take those liberties and and feel pretty comfortable, you know? And that's something that we kind of talked about when you are here, you know, recently, those things that you're pulling from observation when you're especially painting in the landscape and, you know, you kind of get drawn into different formal elements, you know?
0: Yeah, it becomes a lot more simplified, I think, like definitely simplification was a huge part and like knowing the very early like beginnings of how to draw like positive negative shape and line and floor it's like all the formal art elements are just happening right there so it was kind of a refresher and it was refreshing in a sense to to kind of loosen up and not be so so tight and plus you're working with the elements you know sunlight comes in changes your shadows you have to work quickly um it was it's definitely a a fun fun thing to do
1: to kind of think about like those early experiences at the university of akron then i would imagine then you just kind of then this is that time to push yourself and you know kind of learn how to do all these technical things and i would imagine you know like aside from drawing you're did you? i'm assuming take painting pretty early on and other yeah other art classes and stuff
0: like you had to take your foundations classes foundation drawing found, uh painting one and then you had to take like I think a life drawing course. Oh, you had to take 2d and 3d 2d taught you, taught you like color theory and composition 3d. You were like sculpting stuff with like alabaster and clay and foam. And the foundations classes were like a way for you to like, maybe you do like to sculpt or maybe you do like metalsmithing and you know, you don't have to always draw and paint. I had a really eclectic um, teacher. His name was Mark Sopland and he got me really excited about drawing. And I definitely, he he, taught me how to be more expressive with, with drawing and you use different materials. You know, you're like taping charcoal to sticks that you go out and get from the parking lot and you're loosening up and you're getting more gestural mark making and stuff. So I had a wide array of instructors who taught different, different things at Akron.
1: Well, and to think about your, your past, you know, and especially your experience with your dad being, you know, this pretty well-known illustrator and being around all that were you kind of then exposed to a bunch of stuff that you hadn't seen before?
0: Yeah. I I feel like my artistic liberties were kind of suppressed because every time I had an idea uh, that I thought was, I was being original, I'd go and be like, dad, dad, I thought of something new. And you'd be like, oh, it's already been done. And I would not (laughs) like investigate it myself. Like I remember we were at Home Depot or Lowe's or something and I saw like the sheets of sandpaper and I was like, oh, it'd be really cool to do a painting on those and see the texture beneath it or like rub it away kind of as you work on it. He's like, it's already been done. And he gave me like five artists who had already done it. I was like, well, I'm not even going to try it anymore, you know, because I'm just going to keep trying to move on to the next original thing. But you need to like do those things because you might handle it a different way than than someone else. So yeah, when I got to Akron, it was like kind of being thrown into a frying pan. Like I had the basic skill set but just applying it to different things was totally new. And by different things, I mean like still lives or one class we drew like a bunch of paper cones and it was like teaching you about positive, negative shape, but also form, you know? So there's some exercises of those that I teach today that really help, help people out. So.
1: Were there artists that you became familiar with that, you know, you can think of immediately that are like maybe hero type level. Like people I look at or. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember you know seeing Wayne Tebow for the first time and just being like, "Wow, those color shadows are super cool." Like, how does he do that? You know, that kind yeah,
0: of. Yeah, Wayne Thiebaud's pretty good. He recently just passed away, didn't he? Like yeah, last year. Couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, Andrew Wyeth, for mm-hmm. sure. The first paint I ever painted with, I think, was watercolor. When I was seven years old, my dad was invited as an artist in residence at the Kilreleg Arts Village in Balling Ireland. So he took himself and my family, which includes my mom, my brother and myself. And we were there for a month and he was like painting. Cause he had, it was like what I did with you know the studio break, you know, the, the, your, your gallery. So like I came in, made a bunch of paintings, then we had an exhibition. That's like what, what he did. Um, and I remember going to the gift shop and buying like a little cheap box of watercolors and I would paint on his scrap, boards he would he would work on um I think it was like Strathmore illustration board that was like mounted to foam core or something Mm -hmm. so I would just paint on his scraps and I still have those first watercolors somewhere but that's that's kind of what I what I started with and so it was like looking at other watercolors like Andrew Wyeth and Edward Hopper you know became Mm -hmm. they I still look at them today for their their simple shapes and subject matter that's kind of kind of lonely and you know isolated and solemn introspective and
1: well and to kind of think again about this trajectory you know you mentioned life drawing is that something that also became kind of a thing because you know certainly there there's lots of figurative elements and in, in works there's lots of portraits and you know self-portraits even and things like that but i would imagine that was also something that became pretty pretty important to you
0: oh yeah figure drawing throughout college remember i saw my first like naked person <laughs> my freshman year of college. And I was used to seeing naked people all the time, as funny as that sounds, but like <laughs> some of my dad's work is pretty nude. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm no stranger to to seeing naked bodies. My dad did a uh, painting for Playboy magazine and I'm pretty sure it's my mom when she was pregnant with me, but it's like full nude. Like it was it's pretty, pretty weird seeing that mm-hmm. now but not realizing what it was back then. I, I took all of the life drawing courses I could at Akron. Like I took intro, I took intermediate, and then I took advanced life drawing four times, which was the maximum. And then I took it one more time, but I I had to do an independent study in advanced life drawing. And that's where I met John Reddington too. He was my teacher for one of those classes, but that's when I really learned about anatomy and constructing a figure and you just go in and you draw like pose after pose after pose and you get good with gesture and searching lines. And that's, that was a a huge, huge part.
1: When you came in, you know, what types of things, you know, culminated in that like thesis show or senior show kind of thing? Was it all kind of portrait based stuff or was it something else?
0: I really wanted it to be about portraits and it was about portraits I always would butt heads with my advisors because they always wanted to push my art either more abstractly or Mm -hmm. in a more contemporary way that I just, I don't know why I just couldn't do it. There was some block that I had where they would show me artists and I'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, I can make my work look like that, blah, blah, blah. But I just didn't care about the artists they were showing me. I wanted to be more like traditional, but that's, I guess not what fine art like is anymore, and so I'd always constantly butt heads. So like, it can't just be a portrait, you know. And I agree, it can't just be head and shoulders, you know. So I try to vary it up with shadows and mess with color, and I just try to capture like personality through the the portrait and through the eyes. So yeah, I wanted the show to be about portraiture but at the same time I also just wanted to like get my degree and get out and pursue something and so there's there's some decisions that I made in my earlier work that I definitely mm-hmm. would not do now or I wish I didn't or you know I wonder what my art would have been like today had I gone the abstract route which is like a majority of what people do
1: you know following that experience then was it really like when you pursued your MFA that you felt like you were able to kind of focus more in on the things that you were interested in instead of kind of feeling like people are pushing you in a certain way or
0: it was definitely the, uh, the latter, where people are definitely pushing you to get out of your comfort zone. But at the same time, after I graduated with my MFA, I saw the work of like the people that were praised from there. And it looked just like the work that the instructors did. hmm And so I I feel like I got out of my shell plenty, but I did a lot of work there that was just like, I'm going to do this. And then when I'm done, I'm going to do my own thing because this is not making me happy. Hmm. Um, It's not selling like a lot of the work that I did in grad school has not sold. Not that I wanted it to, but like I do little things now and they'll sell like immediately. And that's like my own idea, not, you know, someone else's.
1: Again, I'm very familiar with that whole, like, you know, you get in and you're like, yeah, throw all that out and start doing site-specific yep. sculptures with weaving or something. <laughs> yep. I did that. But I would imagine there's, there's gotta be some of those experiences that you can kind of pull from and go like, oh, that was like, helpful or you know maybe some artists that you kind of learned about or you know people that you worked with you know peers especially I think are super helpful and important because for me it was interesting I kind of grew up in a school where everything was abstracted so to get to graduate school and there's all these people working representationally it kind of gave me the encouragement to kind of pursue that and I never had it's funny I was painting suburban homes you know but not really like somebody that works from observation. So kind of being around all those artists certainly kind of, you know, pushed that in a new direction for me. So were there, were there experiences that you can think of that were, you know, at least pretty helpful in that regards?
0: Oh yeah. There were, I took a lot of um, like seminar and like group discussion based graduate level classes where you'd be in a room with like artists, like glass blowers and metalsmiths and printmakers. And you'd have a lot of cross-disciplinary conversations and you get a lot of different insight from different viewpoints. And I would do collaborations. Like one of my best buddies, I did a painting and then he dripped molten glass onto it and like burned it a little bit. And then I worked back into it with paint to to try to make something happen. He now has that piece hanging up in his in his home. But the those classes that I took, whether it was like time arts or history of photography, these seminar discussion classes, they they help me look at things differently, especially with an abstract eye, which I definitely plays a part in my current work. Like there, there's a level of abstraction that is maybe more simplification or trying to break down the wall of like, this has to be representational. It doesn't have to be that's the thing that i'm kind of after is this like reality but is it really reality Mm -hmm. can it be can it be different that's like a lot of my more recent work is is following that so the things that i did in grad school i definitely appreciate like the push to become abstract it helped me appreciate abstract art more like i used to look at Rothko and be like it's just a fuzzy square like i don't what does that mean and now i can like kind of see them as like either landscapes or portraits you know if you take away everything else and you get down to the bare bones of what art is i I see those relationships a little bit more
1: so like i'm looking at a piece called black mass was that something that
0: this stuff i did in grad school and it became a little bit too formulaic for me like they wanted you to just pump work out like as fast as possible and i was working pretty large like these drawings are 38 by 50 on um, um, they're on paper like gessoed paper and then I would do oil on top of it so I started assembling collages in Photoshop or just collecting different images and I'd project them on a paper and then trace them and it became a little bit like where's the invention it became really like paint by numbers at that point uh so all that work that's like 38 by 50 it's all relatively the same process and I was like at, in that part of grad school i was collecting images from social media mm-hmm. like people's instagram, snapchats, facebook i was just taking their photos and like assembling them into my own atlas of photographs taking after gerhard richter's atlas of photography his atlas is like it's a collection of photographs, newspaper cuttings and sketches that the artist has been assembling since the mid 1960s So it's still a working piece, but it's like thousands and thousands of of photographs. So I try to assemble my own atlas of photos just to pull ideas from. And I I would just mash them together. Um, And I feel like I maybe was onto something, but I didn't really investigate it. I butt heads with a lot of my professors and advisors there who were really abstract based and I feel like I just didn't mesh, mesh well with that.
1: We've been talking a little bit about the processes and the trials of graduate school. So, you know, what kind of came afterwards in terms of like a piece where you're like, okay, this is, this is me. This is where I want to be.
0: I came off these like assemblages and collages of figurative work and landscape work. So I uh, like Andrew Wyeth. I really like these old barns and these old structures. Um, I think it's from a different generation of, of time And I would pair them with um, figures that I would see walking or, you know, I'd snap photos everywhere. I went, I'd snap photos while I was driving and that kind of pairing of the photo of the landscape with the photo of these people. That's what I was mashing together. So after grad school, I wanted to interject like a little bit of humor and spirituality and mysticism. So I get to the, the painting called full moon and it was a, photo of one of my ex-girlfriends, like undressing or whatever. And I put her in this landscape and there was, I had a couple other sketches, different ideas with it, but I wanted to make like a funny, a funny joke about, you know, there's a full moon, but you know, she's also mooning us. And there's this dog that, that stands for, you know, fidelity and uh, being loyal. And, but also the dog is like laughing and mocking. And so I, this was like the very beginning into trying to see how these different ideas would work. And I don't necessarily know if it makes a whole lot of sense to me or other people, Mm -hmm. but each one of my paintings, I wanted to say something about like itself. I know that people have all these different bodies of work that like relate to each other and they all have a common theme, whether aesthetically or with their artist statement, you know, or this long didactic about what the art means I guess if my art has like a trend, it's probably figurative and landscape and then like some humor. Uh, it needs to be like a, my paint, my work has to have like a punchline. Cause like as much as I try to be like a serious guy, I'm really good. I'm goofing around all the time. You know, I'm making a fool out of myself. I'm laughing at myself. I don't really care, you know, what
1: mockery I'm making. Interesting. So, you know, there's, there's this sense of humor that starts to come about in paintings like full moon. Um, How did that, you know, continue to develop, you know, and I'm especially interested, you know, you know, after graduate school when you're kind of, you know, crammed or confined to like a a dining room table to work or something or kitchen table and you got no space, but how did that evolve afterwards?
0: It was kind of like shaken off the funk, I guess. I can't remember what I started doing straight after grad school, like what the first piece was. I, I just started teaching right after grad school. I was invited back to the University of Akron to teach a drawing class. I was still kind of based in observation and like this collage aspect of mixing the figure with the landscape, except I started to introduce a little bit more of like some spirituality into the work. I was raised Catholic. Like I went to Sunday school. I went to, you know, church camp retreats and stuff. And so I always try to interject like a little Catholicism and it. it kind of like maybe, mm-hmm. or poking fun. Uh, maybe it's blasphemous. I don't really care, but there's this mysticism of spirituality is like something that I feel like I can like dig my teeth into, but I couldn't do that stuff in grad school because everyone is an atheist in grad school so that stuff doesn't really fly or if you try to describe it they're like well then where is god you know where's the proof and then i'm like i'm not even talking about art anymore at that point and i really don't care so my work kind of shifted to like this um more humorous spin on spirituality and figure ground relationships and sit at its like very very heart so And then a lot of it's like 50, 50, like some of it's observational drawing.
1: To think about how that process then changed. I mean, you were talking about kind of making these assemblages, like what would you do? Like, obviously, like, you know, this person, you know, you're basing this work off of the person in full moon, but then is it just kind of like, you have to like write it down. Is it like you have to sketch it out to kind of think about that juxtaposition with like the dog and the landscape, um, you know, how do you, how do you come up with these ideas that you start getting interested in? Cause like, and you you were talking about like taking photographs in the car certainly can, Mm -hmm. you know, think about that for me, I've had some really long commutes. So I feel like those are great times to think about art, you know, but
0: yeah, I take photos all the time and I'll have like a cool idea and I say cool in quotes to you because sometimes that idea (laughs) changes completely, right. Is it really cool (laughs) or can I make it cooler or is it lame? So this piece started out with a totally different sketch in mind and like as much as i like having a plan for things those sketches are like for composition and like very basic things like do i center it is it off center do i follow the rule of thirds you know where's the balance happening in the image so those are things i work out in the drawing
1: and this would be like in a work like full moon
0: oh yeah and then in the painting process like there's a a little dog in there that was added way after the fact, um, before the grass was even green, before the grass was even grass in that painting, uh, I hadn't even thought about the, you know, putting the dog in there. So I would just go through like my Alice of photographs that I'd taken or stolen. um, And I would just scroll through and see if I could find something that would fit um, one, maybe with similar lighting or similar viewpoint or perspective, and then I put it in. And if it worked, I would keep it. And if it didn't work, I would take it out. So there are certain steps along the the painting process that, you know, either get scrubbed out or or put back in.
1: I would imagine, you know, a lot of the sketches and and things that you kind of work out idea-wise wind up feeding the paintings. Is that kind of the process that you wind up using? And
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I, I love drawing because it's so immediate and it just happens. I don't have to think about color. I don't have to think about layers. I don't have to think about glazes or mediums or, you know, if my brush dries out or if the paint dry, whatever, it just happens. And it's very quick and fluid. And if it doesn't work, then I can change the proportions right there on the page or just do another drawing. That doesn't take a whole lot of time. So that's the way I was, I kind of grew up working. Mm-hmm was you do your thumbnail sketches and you do your preliminary sketches and then you do that and you do another sketch. One of the the valuable lessons that my dad taught me was you want to be able to sell your work at any point along its journey, whether it's like the first compositional sketch or like the more rendered rough draft or, you know, the first wash, the second wash, the the final layer of paint. You want to get it to a, a point where it's, it looks good. And yeah, there might be some ugly stages along the way, but it's okay to have those ugly stages still be their own painting that, you know, you could, you could frame and sell. So yeah, if drawing is such a huge part of my, my process and the things that happen in the drawing are sometimes vastly different than the things that happen in the painting. And it's not like I can do the same things with paint that I can do with graphite. So trying to, Copy some of the things in the drawing in paint is that's when some cool stuff happens, or that's when the bad stuff really happens. So it can go
1: go either way. Earlier in our conversation, you know, maybe off the record, you were talking about the amount of time that you'll spend on stuff. So is there a lot of time kind of looking, editing, thinking about like minor tweaks and and kind of living with this work? Cause you know, I know sometimes artists will just knock something out, move on, knock something out, move on. Sometimes artists will have like 40 things going at once, but I would imagine like you like to to sit a little bit.
0: Sometimes the, the more I sit, the more like antsy and anxious I get. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of, if I don't bust out a pretty significant amount of the painting in one sitting, I like almost immediately lose, lose interest in it, which is why in some of my more recent, recent work, It's been like quicker, smaller stuff because in grad school, I was working on such a huge scale Mm -hmm. because that's what everyone was doing. Everyone was making super big, you know, abstract work and some of these larger pieces take a lot of time. So I do sometimes scrap ideas or I'll put a painting aside and let it sit for a while and start another idea. And it depends on what medium I work in because I try to work in like everything my dad is like acrylic and watercolor. I learned in watercolor, but I didn't really experiment with oil until I got into my undergrad. Mm-hmm. That was when I, I never was taught in oil before that. And I kind of learned everything in oil, like on my own. And that's been my primary medium sense, but I've been getting into more acrylic. And so the process is different for each one, but I really look at, like the old masters. And I think about thin darks and thick lights. So I'll usually start with like scumbling and like thin washes. And I build up those layers over time because I just look at work now made by a lot of students, not to cut down students, but like, it's, it's pretty flat. You know, they all work on one, one layer. And I don't know if it's like a attention span thing or if it's like a precious thing where you like you don't want to touch that previous layer but you need to like set yourself up from the ground and you need to build that painting up and you see through all these different transparent layers so i've tried to do that with different mediums whether it's oil or acrylic or watercolor Uh, and i think it is that watercolor background that i had that has really affected my process because you do need to think about layers and glazing and shapes so lots of scumbling for like the early stuff. And then I do get tighter and smaller and there are certain areas that I will get really excited on and render out. And then there are other areas that I, I think like they need to breathe, you know, they need to be simple. They need to have a little bit more looseness because at the end of the day, it is a painting. It is a drawing. It's not trying to be anything more or less than that. I want it to look like a painting. I want somebody to look at an experience rather than like, look at a, an image, you know, maybe that's also part of my aesthetic is I want them to become part of the experience and try to put themselves into the, into the work.
1: I'm probably more of the, the, the student that you just described, you know, earlier. <laughs> so to me, it's interesting because there's a way to kind of keep all of that kind of gesture and slowly kind of build something up to the point where you're really kind of interested in. it. again, that's a totally different process. You know, for me, like I, talk to other artists like my friend you know uh josh johnson who's like spending a year you know working on a on a copper plate and you're just like wow you know it's a it's a lot yeah but it's interesting for me to think about that and to certainly see it too because i saw the way that you would kind of work through a sketch and then slowly kind of build up a painting and then build over the top of it till till it gets thicker and i granted those were Uh all one session um so it might be a little bit different but there is a you know a more recent painting, again, it's acrylic painting, uh the the tall hat. Um <laughs> so so maybe talk a little about that one because out because it looks like again at various iterations, it might have started out more like kind of refining like the landscape elements and then kind of building over it. And I guess just because I haven't said anything at all up until this point, you know, you can check out work at kitpalancard.com. And of course, you know, you can find uh kit on Instagram, be sure to follow. At Palin Kit, where we're talking about this more recent work. But yeah, tell us about this painting, The Tall Hat.
0: <laughs> so, The Tall Hat was, uh, I watch a lot of YouTube clips, of just random stuff, you know, stuff the algorithm will populate your recommended <laughs> feed with all sorts of stuff. And so, I watched this, uh, like the top 10 best Western movies ever. And this was like a scene from one of the movies where it was like this really long like landscape and they're staring at it was i think it was like a comedy spaghetti western or something um and i was just in awe of like this simple landscape and these like huge shapes of like this duster jacket that he's wearing in the lighting but it needed a little bit of humor to it so i simplified the image and then i took to instagram and i wanted this like tall hat outlaw to be really mysterious so i was like, how tall should his hat be? You know, like, the bigger the hat, the better. You know, it's like a big pickup truck. You know, like, what are you what are you trying to prove? And so I put, like, a little slider on Instagram. And, like, it was pretty tall. And then someone was, like, and he was Taylor Clapp, and she runs this, um, she's a co-owner of this one art show that happens every year to help promote emerging artists. Uh, it's called The Groundhog Show. But she was like, why does there have to be a limit on it? And I was like, okay. So I like, I did a sketch of it and I was like, eh, it's maybe, maybe too much. And then I like did it and I painted it. And I was like, that's, that's okay. That's like absurd. And I, I'm a big like absurdist humor, like always pushing the limit. Like if you've never seen the show, um, I think you should leave with uh, Tim Robinson. I would definitely give that a check. And so I, I am pairing this like kind of humor with like a more traditional style of work. And For this piece, I was looking at Robert Vickery, American artist who worked um, in a lot of egg tempera. And so some of these techniques are from egg tempera. Like a lot of the rocks were done. Uh, The rocks took like no time at all. It was like I splattered a lighter value on with a tooth. I put the painting on the floor and I did it with a toothbrush. I did some with a brush and I would like take the handle and I would hold my pointer finger out on my other hand and I would tap the brush against my finger and it would splatter. And then I go along and do a shadow on the underside. So that part didn't take too long, but the jacket definitely took the most amount of time. And it was just like building it up very loosely because I'm working in acrylic. So I do thin, thin layers of building up the basic big shapes. And then I go in with a little tiny brush and I do thousands of little strokes over top of each other in like a, a cross hatch and it gives it dimension. It doesn't make it too flat. And it allows you to think in layers so you can really push those darks so they're not just like black voids of shape shadow is still part of light so it's not just totally devoid of of light there's still light in there it's just darker so this is like one of my earlier beginnings of acrylic painting because i'm oil and i would really like to get into acrylic and so I'm trying to bridge that gap between like thin layers and the opacity is, is something I'm struggling with, but, and also just the blendability because it dries pretty quick. So this is, this is one of my most recent paintings and I'm, I'm pretty excited about
1: where it's gone. It's a pretty tall hat too. To, you know, <laughs> yeah, again, it's a not, very tall hat. If you're not seeing it right now, again, we're talking about something that's uh, three quarters, roughly the, the, <laughs> the vertical orientation. So to me, the thing that's funny to me is that it kind of mirrors the the angle, first of all, of that tree that's on the far left. Um uh-huh. and I think if you kind of even just were to glance at it, you might mistake it as a tree, you know, counting out the figurative element of the bottom. But I again uh-huh. it, that absurdity is kind of super fun. Yeah. So I could imagine that again, there's a lot of play for you in terms of you know, things that kind of come after or certainly I think as we've been kind of following up after your experience here, you know, just kind of taking in things around you, I could see a lot of starts where you're, you know, pulling from something and then just adding, adding something from this catalog or, you know, finding something absurdist to kind of throw in there.
0: Yeah. I always just try to change the viewers expectations about what they're looking at, you know, throw a wrench into the machine and get them to, to think twice about something in mostly like a humorous a humorous way it helps me keep things loose and fun and easy going but you know can still be serious about maybe the execution of the the technique or the the paint handling so
1: i was gonna say and so currently like you're you're kind of doing a number of different things in terms of like teaching kind of working you know straight you know from observation and then kind of combining these different elements of the to different paintings that you're obviously investing a lot more time in are there kind of goals and, and things like that going into this? I know, again, you just moved. So all of your stuff is scattered around your your new place, but are there things that you're kind of excited about, you know, working on, especially, you know, with this recent trip and experience hanging out with all these artists and.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it, the, the, I haven't planned or painted in, I want to say 10 years, but I feel like I did some of my parents' house. Like, eight years ago. So, I mean, it's been a really long time since I've been out and worked that immediate,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but I, I still got to take my time on some of these paintings, um, where if you block in certain areas, it gives you time to fool around with, and you don't even have to look at the landscape and you're like inventing more, or you're changing the size and proportions. So it, it kind of helped me like not be so perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. And you're allowed to have certain things that happen in an image that don't really mimic reality. And it was very eye-opening to be on that that painting trip, paintings from the field. I, I try to use it as a a way to try out different techniques. Like I, I try to use a different development for each painting that I did. So one of the paintings I did, the one painting I started with like a gestural drawing with a paintbrush. And then I went over it with paint and built up the layers. The second painting I did was I started with a really thin wash and I built off of that. And then the third painting I did with like only a palette knife. And then the fourth painting I did like a the burnt sienna wash. And then you wipe out the highlights and then you leave some of those little bits and pieces behind. And I, I think that was the most successful painting I did. And the last two paintings were um, night paintings, which was really cool. And just the the freedom to try all these different, like, Mm -hmm. mark making techniques and ways of working got me kind of, it started a little fire underneath. So I I do have a a panel with a drawing on it that I just need to put paint on that I started before the trip. And once I get my studio up and running here, I'll I'll be working on that. So I'm pretty excited about that one
1: one thing that's exciting to me is that like, you don't seem to have a lot of hangups too, in terms of like what you're going to try. You know, it seems like each, each of these things that you're going to wind up doing, then, you know, just takes whatever it, it takes. It could be, you know, layering up acrylic to oil or, you know, starting with an ink wash or something. So to me, that, that part really seems pretty exciting. And you're kind of alluding to like artists that just kind of knock out, you know, 30 paintings in a series. So to me, that, that process of kind of letting each of those things kind of evolve for whatever that experience is, is something that's interesting. And you also talked about that too, allowing, you know, the viewer to come in and, and really kind of experience this in a different way. And I know everybody says that, but, you know, like, again, it's interesting how, you know, we all think about that differently in terms of what we want people to get out of something.
0: Like I, I never want to get stagnant. I never want my art to get stale. Like I might walk into a museum and see a Pollock and then walk into another museum and see a Pollock, but that's simply because they are, you know, drips on a canvas. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the automatic painting. But I, I hope that someone will, you know, see one of my paintings and go, Oh, that's a pound car and then go somewhere else and know it's a pound car, but not because of how or what it's painted with, but kind of the imagery and the subject matter obviously I think my color palette has a lot to do with that, but I, I just always try to keep things, keep things fresh, keep them interesting to look at. And so I don't think my work now looks anything like it did five years ago. And I don't think that five years into the future, my work is going to look anything like the work I'm doing now. I hope it doesn't. I I just hope I keep refining these, these
1: ideas. Just remind everybody, like where's the best place to kind of stay in touch and, and to see what you're doing and and what's coming out of the studio. visit
0: me on my Instagram page at Palenkit. It's P A L E N K I T. Kind of mix my like last name with my first name. Or my website, uh On there, there's like a you can contact me, you can send me an email if you want to. I do
1: commissions and stuff. So nice, nice. Yeah. Well, again, obviously too, you've got some uh paintings up on the site too as part of the show. So people can yes, yes. The- landscape paintings that we've been talking about and some of the other artists that have been partaking in that but yeah again really awesome to catch up with you in this format and uh to learn a little bit more about you and you know hear all sorts of good stuff so yeah again thanks thanks for doing this
0: thanks for having me dave that was uh that was fun
1: Thanks once again to Kit for joining me. You can check out more work by visiting his website, kitpalancar.com. You can also find him on Instagram. Be sure to follow at PalinKit. Again, he is open to commissions and all sorts of stuff, so hit him up. You can also see some of his work from paintings from the field on Studio Break. Just look under the gallery tab, and you can find some of his works there, as well as works by John Reddington, Adam Mysak, Ben Cohan, Jake Wells, Gary Shermer, and myself, David Linaway. So check out some of the works from Paintings from the Field, where we all worked out in West Chicago, painting on site. So it was a lot of fun, so check out some of those works. Of course, if you enjoyed today's podcast, we've got a bunch more you can check out on the archive. Once again, each of those posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen right there on Studio Break, or you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple or wherever your podcast, I do recommend Spotify as they have a preview image so you can see a bit about what the artist is about, if they're a painter, a sculptor, etc. So once again, be sure to subscribe. And of course, say hello. You can also help us out by spreading the word, reviewing it. We always appreciate it. And of course, it's great hearing from listeners. So be sure to say hello at studio underscore break. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself, Ben Cohan on drums, and Brett Beery on bass. You can find some of Ben's paintings at ben Cohan Studio on Instagram. And of course, be sure to follow Brett Beery. Check out some of his albums at Brett Beery on Instagram. And of course, you can follow us at Golden Shadow Band on Instagram. There is a link in the link tree for our EP that came out in 2022 called Lawn Dreams. You can check that out on Bandcamp if you're interested. Of course, if you want to see some of my works, you don't have to go very far. It's all integrated in the same place. Studio Break, David Linnaway, check it all out. You can follow me at David Linnaway on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. And of course, if you want to say hello... Feel free to send a message to at David Linnaway or at studio underscore break. It's always great hearing from listeners, even when we're in the summer lull. You know, I hope that you are crushing it in the studio, making great stuff and excited about getting some vitamin D and, and getting some artwork in. So hope everybody's doing well. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.